Um, today we're at episode 13 of our Scaling So Far series, and we have had some pretty amazing guests already, but today I'm absolutely delighted to let you know um, that I'm going to be joined uh, here with uh, by Bea, Beatrice um, from Avrios. Uh, she's the head of people and talent, and it's one of the fastest growing European companies in the SaaS or uh, software as a service space uh, here at the moment. Um, Bea, welcome. Lovely to have you joining us this morning. Thank you uh, for making the time. I know you've got an incredibly busy life, both <laughs> personally and professionally at the moment. Yeah, I um, <laughs> you may talk a bit about later, but um, I'm sure that many people who are listening know you and, and have you know maybe heard a bit about your story before. But for those who don't, tell us a bit about how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, of course. Um, all right. Hi, mom and dad. I guess those are the people that know me really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess I kind of stumbled into talent acquisition a bit accidentally. Um, I think a lot of us kind of do. I studied art history and I actually began my career working for an art space um, and doing marketing and fundraising there. Um, as a lot of us know, um, arts nonprofit are not really well funded. Um, and so you're living in an expensive city like San Francisco and you're not making a lot. Um, I was having odd jobs bartending and was exhausted. And a friend of mine was a neighbor um, for San Francisco, the heart of Silicon Valley. He was an engineer and he's like, oh, my friends at the startup, they're looking for a receptionist. You can like read books on art history and the end, maybe prepare for a master's. Like it's going to be, um, you know, a very chill job and it'll pay you a lot more. And at that time I was like, okay, let's do it because mm -hmm. I absolutely need to earn a bit more. Um, so I started as kind of like admin support for this very small startup. It was about six people and um, there was no one, no one was doing recruiting. Um, no one was dealing with candidates. Um, and the people that were dealing with candidates were engineers. So one time we had a candidate w waiting in the office for hours. So, and I was like, this is not the way mm -hmm. it should be. Um, so some of the folks like decided, okay, will you be willing to take this on? Will you be willing to take like reviewing resumes? Will you be willing to take on sourcing, um, you know, college recruitment and recruitment mm -hmm. as a whole? And so I said yes and taught myself how to do all of it like online and with blogs and asking questions and um, most of the work was on technical recruitment and we grew from being six people to being 20 in a year um, that was around the time when I left um, when I left I was approached by someone I had met in, at that startup um, to go work for Brightroll uh, that later was acquired by Yahoo and I did work on talent branding and talent community building and it was sort of like a hybrid between um, all of that I had learned in recruitment and operations and then uh, my fundraising and marketing background so building relationships using talent branding as a tool to attract more people so kind of using marketing techniques to um, to attract talent and it was super interesting I was there for about three years left a bit shortly after the acquisition, so maybe six months or so at Yahoo. Um, and then I um, went sort of freelance consulting mode um, mm -hmm. because I was traveling and I needed the flexibility. Um, and I had enough contacts where I landed a few projects. So I worked with IFT, worked with Good Eggs. Um, and um, I was really just happy to be flexible and remote. 
my personal life brought me to Zurich. Um, mm-hmm. And then here I was being very intentional about where I wanted to work. I knew I wanted to be at a startup because it's sort of what I like. Um, I knew mm-hmm. that I wanted to be at a Series B startup. I didn't want to be at something too new. Six people was too mm-hmm. small. Um, and I kind of created my criteria. Uh, my husband actually looked at me and said, you're never going to find a job. Like, <laughs> I was like, watch out. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there was Avrios and a few other companies and uh, the opportunity with Avrios just seemed great. The team re- seemed awesome. I had a conversation with Andy, the CEO. We really liked him. And um, yeah, I joined last year. Fantastic. Yeah. And so now you're the head of people and talent there at Avrios. Right. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's one of the fastest growing European tech companies in the SaaS space. Can you tell me a little bit more about Avrios, what you guys do and your, your vision and mission there? Yes. So we are a fleet management and corporate mobility uh, platform. Um, And so what that, of course, means is that we facilitate the way in which companies handle their corporate mobility uh, policies and um, benefits for their employees. Um, That's kind Mm -hmm. of like the gist of what we do. Um, Our mission is is to make mobility work for business, sort of like our, our tagline. Um, And our vision, of course, is um, we're looking into the future and the fact that mobility is changing. Uh, We understand that this idea of a one car per person model uh, for work is changing. I mean, with COVID right now, we even have remote work. So uh, how Mm. people are going to get to and from work and how often they're going to get to and from work, like that's absolutely um, going to change within the next year and even faster. And so what we're looking at is what a future that should be more sustainable. Um, tailored Mm -hmm. solutions for folks and how can we lead the way and helping companies reduce costs, reduce emissions uh, and sort of make sure that their employees feel connected to, um, to how they're, they're, they're using transportation and how that affects not only their own personal journey from to and from work or to and from a customer to and from a client, but also how that impacts the environment as well. So that's a bit about Mm -hmm. like us now and us I think um, one thing that you and I, well, you and I share many things, but we also share the fact that we're both born in the more southern part of the world uh, where climate change has had a pretty drastic effect um, on the natural environment in El Salvador, where you're from, and and Australia, where I'm from. So to hear that that your your company is doing something positive about that is really refreshing. (laughs) Yes, we're all here to make money. Um, but we also want to make sure that we do it in a responsible way as well. So that's wonderful to hear. Um, where does your role fit in with Avrios's mission? So obviously you guys are doing great things for corporate mobility. How do you fit in to all of that? I think my favorite thing about talent acquisition, and this is, uh, I think, um, irrespective of Avrios, like every single company, is that you know an idea is just an idea. Uh, and if you don't have mm-hmm. people pushing the idea forward and good people pushing the idea forward and working on it, and buying into the mission and really putting their energy to create something great, nothing happens. Um, and talent acquisition and also you know, HR or people are functions where you're responsible for who is going to build the product, who is going to lead the, the company, mm-hmm. who is going to market the product. Like You have so much influence in who comes into the company and how they stay in. And so for me, I serve the mission by serving the people who make it happen. Uh, and that's how I see it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I just think that that's what I love about like talent mm-hmm. acquisition is you have so much responsibility. 
you can mm-hmm. bring a person who can completely absolutely change a department um, mm-hmm. change a way that you're doing things like and and you can change people's lives as well uh, if you offer someone the real like a really fulfilling job opportunity like for better or worse you mm-hmm. can always like to impact someone's life so um, I like the people-centric aspect of it and I think that's what I do I I, I keep our, our people which we call the eagles um, happy and productive and I make sure I bring good eagles to our nest excellent I love that phrase good eagles to our nest <laughs> It sounds very similar to, to our line here at the seed that we use, which is that we're scaling the teams that build the products that are touched by millions. Um, yeah. And that's that's one thing that I've always loved about about being part of talent acquisition is, you know, I I hired the MD of one of the biggest American tech firms here in Europe and, you know, seeing the the results that he was able to deliver while I was still working there, but even even more rewarding, like what he's achieved since I left. Um, I find incredibly rewarding as well. So um, good to hear. Um, You've been part of some pretty nifty companies over the last little while, Um, obviously being at Yahoo, being at IFT. What are the biggest learnings that you've had about scaling teams in in the startups and scale-ups that you've been working in? Yeah, I think um, my biggest sort of lesson that I've always taken is that as a recruiter, you're only as good as the people and the company that you're recruiting for. Um, mm. And by that, I don't, I mean that recruitment doesn't happen in a bubble. I'm also sure that um, agency recruitment recruiters feel the same way, right? Like they mm. might have a client who's very committed to make sure that our role gets filled and they will be very successful with a client. And then they would have a client who's very difficult and challenging. And then that would be um, really challenge, a, a challenging role to mm. fill. Um, and so when you're building a team, um, the hiring manager, the team, and by extension, the company are the keys in successful scaling. Um, as a recruiter, you're a tool. You're, I mean, you're at the service of that, of what's happening. Mm. And so you're responsible for making sure that recruitment becomes part of the culture, part of the mm. DNA, um, that the hiring manager is motivated to work with you, um, that there is a drive to scale, that the team does want to do, you know, extra work for you. Because as a recruiter, mm. you say, hey, can you review this resume or can you interview this person? Can you do this for me? Um, and that can be seen, you know, in other functions, you, you don't necessarily have, you know, an engineer coming to you and being like, hey, can you code this for me? Right. Mm. Uh, but in recruitment, you mm. are asking people to do the work that is stereotypically seen as yours, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that you're only as good as like how those people react to you, how they collaborate with you, how they view your role, if they see you with like respect, mm-hmm. if they really want to like, move forward and if they push. So it is both an external job when you are speaking with candidates, selling the company, um, you know, guaranteeing they have a good candidate experience, all of that, but it's also an internal job within the company where you are selling the candidate to the company, making sure that the hiring manager feels aligned with you, that you understand them. And so, um, yeah, I think to scale a team, um, it's you and the team. You have to kind of work together and become a bigger team. (laughs) (laughs) Conversely then, Bea, what's the biggest piece of BS advice or, you know, BS statement that you've kind of heard um, throughout your time working in talent acquisition? Oh, flim flam. Love it. Um, <laughs> I think there is a problem, in my opinion, especially mm-hmm. with um, early stage startups, really, really small ones, 
where you'll have a founder and perhaps a couple founding engineers that either come from a certain university uh, or a certain old company. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, uh, pedigree becomes the thing you're looking for. Um, and then it's like, oh, we want look people who went to this school because I went to this school. And so, you know, I know that the curriculum that this school has is amazing. Um, that happens a lot everywhere. I mean, I, you know, it's like, oh, I went to Stanford or, oh, you know, I worked, this person worked at Google. And so you get very, this shiny penny mentality. Um, and I think mm. it can blind you into really evaluating someone. And it can also make you miss really wonderful candidates. Um, that didn't go to those schools. I did not go to Stanford. I am not your typical tech person. I'm Latino, I'm a woman, um, you know, but I'm really good at my job. And if I were not seen uh, because I didn't have these, you know, uh, pedigree companies in my resume, then you're missing out on someone who could be very, very passionate. And so I think that that to me is like, you need to not fall into the pedigree trap. Um, and I think I know companies fall into the pedigree <laughs> trap where they're like, oh, I will. And then they end up with companies that like everyone looks like me and talks like me and have, has had my same education. And that doesn't build good products, I don't think, because you are in an eco chamber where everyone's like, oh, my God, I agree. I agree. Um, right. And so I, I think especially for smaller startups, I would say I would caution against falling into that pedigree trap. And I would say, be open-minded when it comes to candidates that have different backgrounds um, and give folks a chance beyond sort of like the resume. It is more work, but I do think it's worth it. Um, and you so build diversity in the organization yeah. as well. Like, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I worked for um, one of those big tech companies based in Mountain View for, for a while and uh, they back in the day had one of those policies around people having to come from a certain yep. school and have actually removed that since because um, it does create a haven of um, too much like me. And, uh, you know, when, when I worked there, it was like a whole bunch of guys who'd, who'd known each other from, in some cases, high school yeah. um, who were referring their friends because it had a really strong referral culture as well. And, uh, and you end up with a very homogenous workforce. So, um, yeah, I completely, um, completely uh, agree with everything that you've said there. Not that that's the most important thing that I agree, but, but certainly <laughs> it's something I've come across as well. Right now, you're scaling teams across Berlin, across Zurich and across Rotswold. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you're approaching hiring across those locations. Pretty challenging in some cases, having had experience doing all three. So, yeah, tell me about more about that. Yeah, so I, I mean, I will be the first one to know to say that I don't know. I mean, <laughs> okay. new for me. I'm still learning a lot. We're still figuring it out as a company. Um, we have two people in Berlin and two people in Poland at the moment, and we are scaling actively in both locations. Um, and and I don't know. I I'm sort of I'm thinking that in this past year I've had to learn a lot. I had to move from this very American Silicon Valley approach to talent acquisition into one that's more European um, and Swiss. Um, mm. I have to you know, learn really what diversity even means here. Um, we, we ran a survey with our, uh, with our staff to kind of ask like what diversity mean, meant to them and how they felt Avis was tackling diversity. And again, coming from the US where diversity is a huge topic and racial diversity especially is like a huge topic. I was mm. surprised by some of the answers because 
that was not a consideration here, like gender um, and sexual orientation were very much top of mind. But then also um, everyone was, you know, commenting on how diverse Avery's was because there's not that many Swiss people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, nationality is diversity here, where, you know, mm-hmm. in the US, I think you wouldn't say, oh, it, this company is diverse because we have people from Maine and people from New York. Um, mm-hmm. Just wouldn't say that. And so I, mm-hmm. I found that really interesting. So I'm still learning what it means to recruit in Poland, uh, what it means mm-hmm. to recruit in Berlin, what the, you know, differences are in the way people present themselves and express themselves like what companies are there and how are they building their products and what does that mean so I think for me the approach to hiring there is a lot of kind of like I'm being a sponge I'm asking a lot of questions I'm actually you know super grateful that I think talent acquisition has this culture of helping so I've pinged recruiters on both locations and they've been very gracious and willing to jump on a call with me and for me to be like, where are, where is the talent? What mm-hmm. companies do you feel are good to hire for? What do you feel like are your biggest struggles? What have you found when like creating a, a satellite office? And so I've asked a lot of questions and I've gotten a lot of feedback from the talent community. So talent community, you're amazing. Um, <laughs> and so that's sort of like where we are in, in approach. Um, that's more like on the kind of hiring front. Um, on the people front, I think for us, the I don't want to say the struggle, but the focus is we want to make sure that if you are hired in either of these locations, you feel like you're still part of Avrios. Um, of course, with you know the C word that has changed mm-hmm. the way we work, that's mm-hmm. kind of been more challenging uh, and also more equalizing because we're all kind of home. So. Um, but we do really want to make sure that anyone who we hired in an location other than HQ feels like they're part of Avrios, part of the vision. And so that includes me and folks from my team checking in with them. So we have virtual coffee with uh, folks who are uh, in other locations. Uh, we also want to fly them here whenever possible. And again, Corona permitting. Um, and we want to continue to learn um, and grow as we navigate how this is going to work and how all of this is going to be. So, I mean, I think my long-winded answer is <laughs> no, and we're all learning at the moment. I mean, yeah. uh, you mentioned something there about, you know, the, the culture and sort of making sure that people still feel connected, even though they're really far apart from each other at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, for us, we're a remote first organization. So adapting to remote working wasn't such a big deal for us, but it's still tricky to make sure that people feel heard, that people feel like they're part of the team and, you know, we use engagement surveys and things like that to, to continually check the pulse of our organization. But it is tough um, because people aren't always, you know, comfortable speaking up. Maybe they feel like they might be, um, you know, uh, judged as a result of that. So, uh, yeah, I can definitely empathize with, with your experiences there. Um, another thing that you, I empathize with that you and I talked about is uh, candidate experience. Um, I, one of my earlier experiences in recruiting, I worked for a company that I often refer to as the fruit company. And um, one of our big focuses there was making sure that even if people didn't get a job with us, because more of them didn't than did, um, that they still had a really positive experience with us as people and with the brand and the organization, because obviously we still want them to buy the products afterwards. We still want them to have a positive experience with the brand as a consumer um, even if you know they they were unfortunate and didn't get a job at the at the time, so 
candidate experience for me. It's like the hallmark of what we do. It is the the core of our service, if you like. Yeah, it's great to yeah. serve the hiring managers, but they already work here. They already love it here. You know, they're already yeah. happy here. Whereas the candidates, you know, can become your biggest advocates, but also can become your biggest detractors. So tell me a little bit about what you've been putting in place at Avrios to make sure that candidate experience is front and center for you guys as well. Yeah. So again, I, I was lucky because when I joined Avers, my predecessor, who um, still works at Avers but has moved on to a different role, um, he also cared a lot about candidate experience. And um, I think the team as a whole really cared about it. And uh, right. we wanted to, you know, again, this sounds very basic, but we wanted to treat everyone with kindness and respect. Um, and so it that might sound basic, that, but not everyone does it. So, no, I mean, I'm surprised because I do, I, I, I do respond to anyone who applies um, saying no or yes. Either way, you'll get a response within a couple of weeks. Sometimes it'll be longer if I have a volume of applicants really large. Um, but I always get people like, thank you for responding. I'm like, shouldn't everyone respond? Shouldn't no, you they're not. Yeah. everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it feels weird that, that that kind of like small, just kind of being responsive, it's already like, whoa, you're so nice. Um, we also try to make sure that we add value. So my our can responses actually point people to um, like other job sites uh, or mm. other opportunities, uh, like, you know, hidden gems, like, oh, you're looking for startup jobs. Have you checked out these three uh, non-affiliated mm. with Avrios uh, job boards? Um, and actually one guy, one emailed me back and I was like, oh, I got a job from one of the job boards you suggested. I was like, <laughs> that's amazing. No, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I always try to give feedback as well after, um, you know, if you if you put a lot of work, we do have a take-home test for our, our, our roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've put out a lot of work on a take-home test and a lot of work in your interview, you should get something back from it. You should hear feedback. Not everyone takes feedback well. Um, sometimes being candid with feedback has back, backfired on me, mm-hmm. have candidates react very negatively and not agree with the feedback that's mm. okay uh, it's a They're chance right. I mean I think it's a gamble you take when you provide feedback but I do like to provide it um, to make them understand it doesn't have to be you know 10 pages long it literally can be two lines um, mm. so it's not extremely time consuming but it's important um, and I just I, I like as you were saying before and I think um, I believe that at the end of the day, you should find value in job searching and you should find value um, in learning something on every single mm-hmm. experience. I, I know I've gotten, I haven't gotten jobs that I wanted. Mm. Um, and I learned so much from that experience about myself, about how I was portraying myself, about perhaps insecurities that I have that I brought into the interview, about how I was talking about my work, maybe playing it, downplaying it or overplaying it. And so mm. after those interviews, I have been reflective and said, oh, okay, I can see why I wasn't a fit for this. And I'm really glad that I was told X, Y, and Z. Um, so that's, I guess, my hope with candidate experience, that people feel like they didn't waste it, their time. Like that they, they didn't feel waste like their time. Yeah. I interviewed with Avrios and I learned something about myself and about interviews. And now I'm going to be better at my next interview um, and get it. Mm. Um, so Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you've mentioned the C word a couple of times already, yeah. um, and we know how important the talent and people function is 
as a business partner at the best of times, but obviously it's been really, really important that we're 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 that, that key business partner over the last few months with um, the changes that we've all been going through. What's a couple of the ways that you've been able to foster that partnership um, in your work in your you know role today at Avril? Yeah, and I mean I think this is today, as you're saying, more than ever, but also before. Um, I think trust and fostering trust between oh, yeah. between mm-hmm. you as a talent person um, and both employees, uh, candidates, and the hiring manager is really important. And I usually do this in a couple ways. I'm I'm very extremely crazy data driven. Um, and this actually started when I was freelancing because when you're freelancing. I was freelancing from a beach in Thailand at some point in time. And <laughs> I knew that people who had hired me probably would prefer to work with someone who was on their same time zone. Um, and so mm. I felt this like very profound obligation to be better than anybody that could be next door to them. Um, mm. Because, you know, why are you paying me when you could pay someone who's at your, in your same time zone and who can respond at any time? Um, And so I was very transparent about everything that I did. Like I documented everything. When I send my invoices, I send this many calls, this many emails sent, this many Mm -hmm. like denials on my LinkedIn. And so this kind of practice helped me become very data-driven where if at any point in time, a a hiring manager comes to me and says, hey, Bea, where is my role? I haven't seen any traction on X. I'll be like, oh, well, I sent 150 LinkedIn messages yesterday. I had <laughs> three calls with this many people. Uh, this is like the reasons why, you know, this isn't moving forward. Uh, I can sh- send you screenshots of like things. And so I'm very, um, I can show percentages between like my calls to their calls and how they're working. And I share that with uh, the leadership all the time. I feel mm-hmm. like I overshare. Sometimes I feel like I've sent uh, monthly reports like no one reads this <laughs> <laughs> but you're so right openness and transparency is so important all of the time but you know has been even more important that yeah. building of trust that transparent communication um, another initiative that you kicked off recently around gratitude you were telling us about the other day so what is what impact has that had and you know why do you think that's been important to to, to have that initiative yeah, so that actually, I, I would love to say I, I came up with that idea, but I didn't. Actually, one of our employees said, oh, you know, I, I always give people shout outs and I'm very grateful about it. everyone's very collaborative, but I feel like it'd be really nice if we had a public way to do that. And I was like, oh my God, that is a really great idea. Um, and so we started kicking off this kind of like gratitude as a habit. Um, so we created a Slack channel that's uh, called High Fives. Uh, and so there people can say, oh, thank you so much for so-and-so for, go- to going, out of, for the- going out of their way and doing this for me. Um, you know, we launched this new feature. Thank you to the product team for, you know, making sure that it's this. We improved performance. Thank you to the engineering team for working so hard to improve performance. Um, and it's, it's working really well. I do think it helps the, um, the mood. I do think we all like being appreciated and being told that we're doing a good job and um, and I think a lot of people at Avrios do go above and beyond. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people at Avrios do um, do a lot more than the, than the job description. I think a lot of people in startups in general do that. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's good to get that recognition. And we're also doing it and in incorporating that into our town halls. Like at the end of the town halls, like if you want to thank someone publicly, like do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're building more like a like gratitude as a practice. Um, as mm-hmm. a whole organization because I think it's important because sometimes 
you can take for granted how much people do. Um, and mm -hmm. I think it is important for us, the people team, to do that, to recognize that people do a lot, uh, but also for the company as a whole to continue recognizing that our employees do care and do do a lot and for us to recognize it with each other. So it's really been helpful. It's been really nice. Being good people is what you're describing there, like just being a good human, as I, <laughs> as I often say. Um, what is, just to, to close out, because obviously we're, we're um, about to run out of time, what's one thought or value or phrase or saying or song or whatever that you live by there? Yes, um, it's not the most uh, work appropriate one, but I, I live by <laughs> don't being an asshole. Like, don't be an asshole is sort of like my tagline and it is, it applies itself into so many different ways. Very simple and one. Uh, but it really applies into everything. It's just like be kind, be respectful, be empathetic, uh, listen, don't don't get into yourself so much. Like don't mm -hmm. think that you're the center of the universe. Um, and why me? So it really helps mm -hmm. kind of like I think in every situation I'm like, am I the asshole? <laughs> Here. And without going down a political black hole, I think we don't have a great number of examples in the world right now of people who aren't assholes. So um, reminding ourselves that that is not the role model for humanity is probably um, a pretty good thing to remember as well. But, yeah, as I knew it would be, it's been a wonderful morning chatting to you. Certainly well worth jumping out of bed um, and enjoying the early sunshine to, to have a chat with you who uh, has brought a little ray of sunshine to us as well. Um, and I really, really am grateful for how candid and how open and honest you've been. It just makes these chats so much more interesting to talk to somebody who's being open and transparent and, and human as well. So really, thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with us today. Mm -hmm.